I hope you'll turn with me in a Bible to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and our focus today will be on verses 26 to 38. We'll be reading those in just a few moments. I don't know about you, but I don't think I have ever been more excited to see Christmas decorations go up than I have been this year. Can I get an amen? I mean, this, this is a year when we need something to celebrate. We need to see the lights. We need to see the greenery. And while I love those things every year, and those things always give me joy, we need them especially this year. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with finding joy in those things. But we need to remember that that is a seasonal joy. It's a joy that takes place within the context of this time of year, a specific time on the calendar. And that's good, that's fine, but eventually that will come to an end. And so what we really need is seasonless joy, joy that is secure, that doesn't depend on decorations or on a calendar. We need joy that is resilient and strong in the face of 2020 or whatever 2021 happens to bring our way. That's the kind of joy we need. And to have that kind of joy, we need to know where it begins. Where does that start? Where do we look for that? Where does it grow? And what we see in the story of Mary and the angel Gabriel's appearance to Mary is that joy grows in the seedbed of surrender to God's sovereign will. Joy grows, it flourishes in the seedbed of surrender to God's sovereign will. And that means the more surrendered your heart, your life is to God, the greater your joy will be the greater your joy will be, and we all want more joy. And to be clear, what I mean about God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty, I mean God's unrivaled right and ability to do whatever he pleases, however he pleases. God's unrivaled right and ability to do whatever he pleases, however he pleases. And while that may sound fine in the abstract, in theory, it may sound innocuous enough, we need to see what that looks like on the ground in real life. So let's read together Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The first thing I want us to see in these verses is how we can rejoice in how God chooses. We can rejoice in how God's, God chooses when we surrender to how God chooses. And God chooses in ways that confound our understanding, that seem unlikely to us, and we can delight in that. We can relish that. We can enjoy that. We can rejoice in how God chooses. And let's note a few things in verse 26. So the context is the angel Gabriel has already revealed to a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth that they, even though they are past childbearing age, are going to have a son, the one we know to be John the Baptist. And so in the sixth month, that's the timeline here, God sent the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth. And the word order in the NIV translation is a little reversed from the original. It originally says, a town in Galilee by the name of Nazareth. And there's a reason that Luke tells the story that way. It's because most people know where Galilee is. This is a region, okay? And he's writing to people who aren't going to know the particulars of Galilee, but they know the region. So he has to name that first, okay? He sets the big picture, and then he narrows it down. You'll notice that Mary's name is the very last word in this sentence, in verse 27. So I need you guys to understand, this is in Galilee. You might not know where that is, but there's this town called Nazareth there. And he appears to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So we're told everything else about this person, and then... We finally get her name. Now, by our lights, we should start with the name because we know Mary. We've heard this story before. Even if we haven't grown up in church, we've heard this story before in some form or fashion. But notice how God sees the situation. God chooses to show up in overlooked places. And he chooses to exalt overlooked people. This is how this God works. Can you rejoice in that? Can you delight in that? Overlooked places. Nobody cares about this place. While it's famous now, at this time, nobody cares about this place. And instead of announcing this good news that is 
before the world in, say, Jerusalem or maybe Rome, an important place like that, he shows up in Nazareth to the virgin named Mary who in her time socially has no influence or power. Instead of announcing it from the rooftop, God chooses to bury this promise and this hope in the heart of this young woman. And yet he does. This is how God works, and and it pleases God to work this way. He delights in working this way. Can you rejoice and delight in how God works? Or do you want something bigger, something flashier? Can you enjoy this? This is how God works. It's also important to note that God doesn't show up to Mary because she has any merit in herself. She doesn't deserve this. It's a grievous misunderstanding of this passage to think, well, God showed up to Mary because Mary was somehow more pious or or, or more humble. No, God chose her because God chose her. And Mary acknowledges this later when She sings this song of praise in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. What she's saying is that he has noticed me. He has seen me. He has looked upon me. Even when no one else did, he has seen me. And I can't take any credit for that. This is how God chooses And this is how God glorifies himself. Mary can't take any credit for this. And if you have experienced the grace of God in your life, you cannot take any credit for that. We are to be humbled by how God works. And what we have to guard against is becoming jaded. Allowing a a Scrooge mentality to set in. And certainly, in this year of our Lord, 2020, we've all had our pity parties, I'm sure, right? We have all complained about something. We've all bellyached about something. And there's plenty to be upset about. But don't allow what's going on globally or nationally or in the headlines Jade your spirit and your heart. Never get over the excitement of how this God works in your life and in this world. He chooses to show up in unlikely places and overlook places to unlikely people, to sinners like you and like me. This is how he works. Don't ever get over that. Be like a little child who's excited about this. And relishes this. Mary's troubled by it. Who, who am I? Are you talking to me, Gabriel? Me? And she wonders what kind of greeting this might be. She knows she doesn't deserve this. And yet this is how God chose to show up. But you need to know, to experience this kind of joy... To rejoice in how God chooses. You may have to get off the beaten paths. 
you may have to get off the beaten paths. You're not going to see God working in this way by looking at the headlines or by scrolling through your social media feed. It's not that God's not working there. God governs all things. He sustains all things. He is sovereign over all. It's just that you're not going to see it most often. If you want to see God at work, get off the beaten paths. Look in the places that the rest of the world isn't looking. And if this season you are down and you're feeling joyless, find someone you can encourage. Get off the beaten path. Find someone in your life. God has put all kinds of people in your life. And ask yourself how God might be choosing to show up in you and through you to another person. Get out of your own head and your own misery and see someone else because that's how God sees. We are to reflect this God who works off the world's radar. Who is that in your life this Christmas? Well, in response to Mary's question, who am I? Gabriel reassures her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. God has chosen you. You weren't looking for God. God chose you. And he shows her the bigger picture, that ultimately this isn't about her. And it shows us that we can rejoice in how God rules. We can rejoice in how God rules and how does God rule. We see this in verses 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is about God's king, the one we know as Jesus. So notice how these descriptions build on one another. First, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He is going to have a title. He will be called Son of the Most High. But it's not just an empty title. There is a throne that goes along with this title. He will have the throne of his father, David. And this throne is placed within the context of an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom. And for those of us who have spent any time in, say, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we should hear all kinds of echoes from what we've been seeing, especially in 2 Samuel 7, when God said this to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Your throne will be established forever. That is the throne upon which Jesus came to rule. Can you rejoice in God's king? In order to rejoice in God's king, we have to remember this. You ready for this? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about this king. It's about Jesus. This is how God has chosen to exercise his sovereignty in the world through this king. 
And while many may read this and think, oh great, finally, finally, the leader we've been waiting for has arrived. Finally, he's going to fix everything that's wrong in the world and in my life. Finally, he's going to deal with these pesky Romans, these occupiers. But for those who know the rest of the story, you know that this king rules from a cross. This king didn't come to reform good people and tweak good people and give us some some principles for self-help. This is a king who came to die for sinners, to do for sinners like you and like me what we could never do for ourselves. And he exercises his rule and his sovereignty in a way that confounds what this world is looking for. Oh, we know we need help. We know there is brokenness. We know that there are problems in the world in 2020. And we know that we need someone to come help us. That's not really a Christian principle. A Christian principle is to say, yes, we know we need help, and here's the one who helps us. Here's the one who saves us. I don't just need to be fixed. I need to be saved. Because by myself, I am condemned by a holy and righteous God. And this God is so merciful and so gracious that he has sent this king. Not the king I was looking for, but the king I need. Can you rejoice in the way God rules? Can you surrender to God's king? Or do you want to overlook this and keep looking? And say, ah, it sounds nice, but I'm not sure that he can deliver. And maybe you say, well, that's certainly not the way I would have done it. Not the kind of king I would have wanted. Well, this is where we need to be reminded that surrender, surrender to God's sovereign will is the seedbed. This is where it begins. This is where joy grows. This is where joy grows. And the more you surrender, the greater your joy will be. And our question may be Mary's question, verse 34. How will this be? I'm not married yet. Literally, I do not know a man. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angels answer, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Got it? Well, it's just like we saw last week with Matthew. This would have made as much sense to Mary as it makes to us. What kind of answer is that? That's the solution? You're telling me that this individual is going to be holy. He's going to be born in a miraculous, extraordinary way. And that's the answer? This is where we need to remember that we are to rejoice in how God reassures. Rejoice in how God reassures. Not how you want to be reassured or how you would prefer to be reassured, but how God does, in fact, reassure us. This is what he says. This is the explanation. Can you accept it? Can you surrender to the explanation God has given? Do you believe it is sufficient? No, it does not satisfy all of our questions. No, it raises a multitude of questions. But there is an answer, and that answer is, number one, God is going to do this in a mysterious 
and miraculous way. God will accomplish this. It may look impossible to you, Mary, but God will do it. And number two, trust him to do it. And the evidence is what he's already done for Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's already done that. And remember, for no word from God will ever fail. Nothing is impossible with God. And so where you look at your life and you say, I want to believe that God rules in this way. I want to believe that God is sovereign. I want to believe that Christmas really is what Christians say it is, that Jesus really is the hope of the world. I I want to believe that he can and does give joy, but I just don't believe it's possible. Well, can you surrender? Can you yield to God and the answer he's given? Because remember, our impossibilities, what just cannot happen by our lights, our impossibilities are ripe with possibilities for this God. Amen? Our impossibilities are ripe with possibilities for this God. This is where God acts. This is how God acts. Can you take him at his word? Because he is as good as his word. He says it. He promises it. And no, it doesn't answer all of our questions. But notice Mary's response. She says literally, Behold the servant of the Lord. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is surrender. This is the seedbed for joy, the joy that we're craving, that we're desperate for all the time, but especially right now in this year. This is surrender. Can you say with Mary, I am the servant of the Lord? While what God is doing in Mary's life is utterly unique, this is a unique moment in history, it's also true that the Holy Spirit can work in your heart, can can grow joy in this seedbed. But this is where it starts. This is where joy begins at this moment of surrender. Oh, and there is so much that the Holy Spirit can do to water this and cultivate this in your heart and your life well beyond December 25th. Can you surrender, though? This kind of joy is not something that you chase. It's something that you choose. We think it's something that we can chase. We think if we do something, if we buy something, if we go somewhere, if we say something, if we're around certain people, if we put up certain decorations, we think we can chase this kind of joy, but we'll never find it. And that's because it's right here. You don't have to go looking for it. It's available right where you are. To you, to me. Will you choose to accept it? Or not? Can you surrender to this God? That's just not good enough. I need more. God, I need more. I need more assurance. I need more evidence. Or can you say, this is enough for me. He is good. He is kind. He is merciful. And I 
can see that in his promise. Can you celebrate what God is capable of doing even when you don't see him doing it? Can you celebrate what God can do even when you don't see the complete fulfillment of it? Can you take him at his word? If you can. If you choose to accept what God says about you, namely that you are a sinner, I am a sinner, we don't just need to be fixed, we need to be saved, we need to be rescued. If you can accept that, if you choose to accept that, then, then, and only then, you are ready to accept what God has done for you in Christ. You're ready for Emmanuel, God with us. God for us. A God who doesn't look upon our misery from a distance, but who enters into our misery with us. A God who doesn't just sweep our sins away, but who pays the penalty for our sins with the life of his son. You will accept that. The joy that will come to you will exceed your wildest imagination. The rest of the world might not see it, but you can know it in your heart. Will you know that joy this Christmas? I pray that you would. I pray that you would receive this joy by surrendering to God's sovereign will in your life. If you believe God is stirring any decisions in your heart right now, be sure to find me after the service. If you're watching online, reach out by email. This joy, this gift, it's available to all of us. May we receive it in faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess that in our impatience, in our small-mindedness, We refuse to accept the gift that you put right before us. We overlook it. We think we can find something bigger, something better. We confess that to you, Lord. But I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, speaking to us through your written word, that we would be convicted of that short-sightedness and that we would be led to surrender, to accept what you have said, what you have promised. And Lord, help us to believe it is enough because Jesus Christ, our Lord, is enough. And what he does for us, what he has done for us, what he will do for us is enough. May we never, ever get over that. Protect us from becoming jaded. Help us to always remain excited. Help us to delight. Help us to rejoice in what you delight in. As you enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.